chapter 4, Ruth chapter 4 in our Bibles, and uh, we are going to continue in our series on the book of Ruth. So we've discussed already that the book of Ruth was set in the period of the judges. Israel was going through a constant cycle of sin, <coughs> servitude, supplication, salvation. Okay, there, the, the times were summarized by Judges 21, 25. There was no king in Israel and every man did that, did that which was right in his own eyes. The content of the two books of Ruth and, and Judges could not be more different. Judges shows the shift from order and blessing to disorder, while Ruth reveals the shift from disorder and bitterness to order and blessing. While Judges documents self-interest, Ruth, in contrast, documents self-sacrifice, first by Ruth, then by Naomi, finally by Boaz. To summarize the first three chapters, Elimelech moved his family from Bethlehem to Moab, where they sojourned for ten years. After Elimelech and his sons died, his widow, grieving Naomi, made this decision to backtrack with her bereaved daughters-in-law and return to the house of bread. Bethlehem means the house of bread, remember that. As they began to undertake the journey, Orpah, meaning stiff-necked, went back to her kindred and gods. However, Ruth, meaning friend, refused to return, but instead she embraced the god and the kindred of Naomi. As they entered back into her homeland, Naomi told her countrymen, call me not Naomi, which means pleasant, call me Mara, which means bitter. Okay. So that was chapter one. But Ruth would give Naomi a new lease of life. Chapter two, Ruth met Boaz, a man who truly had the joy of the Lord. Having learned of her reputation, Boaz offered protection to Ruth, especially among his servants. Not only did he allow her to glean from his fields, but he told his men to drop handfuls on purpose, such that her efforts would be prosperous. That's chapter two. Then chapter three, last, we finish chapter three. We find Naomi under, unable to hold on to her bitterness. On the contrary, she begins to plan rest for Ruth, requiring her to fulfill the Jewish tradition of asking Boaz to redeem her. After a positive response from Boaz, Ruth finds rest and waits upon the Lord for her kinsman redeemer to spread his skirt over her. So that's Ruth chapter 1, 2, and 3 in a nutshell. And I know it's very fast. And if you uh, want to get the whole story, you read the book of Ruth. And I encourage you to watch online our videos because we have this on our website, lucanchurch.com. Okay, let's read from Ruth chapter 4. Let's read from verse 1 to 12. And so let me just find out who's, who's going to read. Actually, maybe I'm going to have somebody read like three verses at a time. Might be easier. Who wants to read the first three verses? Raise your hand. Mary, who wants to read the next three verses of Ruth? Oh, Brother Paul, who wants to read the next three verses? Verse, okay, Ivy, and then finally the, the, the last three verses, verse 9 to 12. Who wants to, okay, Joe will read that. Thank you so much. Okay, and Mary, go ahead and read the first three verses of chapter 4. Then went Boaz up to the gate and set him down there, and behold, the kinsmen of whom those they came by, unto whom he said, Oh, such a one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit ye down here. And they sat down. And he said unto the kinsmen, Naomi that is come again out of the country of Moab, set it down a parcel of man, which was our brother Elimelech. And I thought that but as he saying, Buy him before he cut it down from before he had it from my people. If thou will give me, give me. But if thou I will not give thee. Then tell me that I may go, for there is none to be beside him, 
and I have answered him, and he said, I will give thee. Then said God, Walk thee thou by the feet of the hand of the Lord. Thou must try to put the Moabite, the wife of the dead, to raise the name of the dead upon his inheritance. And the king's man said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I bear my own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the manner in former time among Continue on here. Uh, we are now in chapter, <coughs> excuse me, chapter four, looking at the first twelve verses. And this twelve verses talk about the bridegroom. Boaz assumes the responsibility of the near kinsman. So the first thing he does, we see in verse one and two, he goes to the gate and uh, he, he says, "Host such a one." I love that. Now, host such a one doesn't mean he says, "Hey, such a one, come here, you, yeah, you, you over there." Now, I'm sure the Bible, he gave his name, but the Bible doesn't give his name, okay? So it's just a little bit of a, I, I just like this bit of humor in, this, in the writing of the scriptures there. So he names the person, obviously, and he, he says, come here, turn aside. And then he took 10 men of the elders. So Boaz initiates efforts to become Ruth's kinsman. Now, the word kinsman means a redeemer. So he needs to redeem or purchase Ruth back. Now, we are going to see, let's go to Leviticus chapter 25. We're going to see this custom in Leviticus chapter 25. Keep your marker there, Ruth, of course. Leviticus 25, verse 47. We talked about this last week. We'll look at it again. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 47. 
He says, and if a sojourner or stranger wax rich by thee, and thy brother that dwelleth by him wax poor, and sell himself unto a stranger or sojourner by thee, or to the stock of the stranger's family, after that he's sold, he may be redeemed again, one of his brethren may redeem him. And so we have a situation where Naomi had become impoverished. She got to Moab, she left the house of bread, she went to Moab, a, a pagan nation that had other gods, and she lost everything. And so she needed to be redeemed. And of course, Ruth, the daughter-in-law, also needs to be redeemed. But verse 49, who would redeem? Either his uncle or his uncle's son may redeem him, or any that is knight of kin unto him, of his family may redeem him, or if he be able, he may redeem himself. Now, Naomi wasn't able to redeem herself. And he shall reckon with him that brought him from the year that he was sold to him unto the year of Jubilee, and the price of the sale shall be according, and it goes on, and they, they tell us how they should do that, okay? So we won't go into all the details of that, but that's where they get the idea of a redeemer, redeeming. Now, of course, then there's another law that brings in the wife being redeemed, but that, that's another story. We won't get into that this morning. We talked about that last week. Now, oh, I have notes to read from the book. I'll, I'll just have to leave that. So we'll leave it that. Anyway, let's move on. We're going back to Ruth chapter 4. So what happened? Boaz wanted to redeem Ruth. He first had to meet with a nearer kinsman to do so because the, fir the first, the, 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 the closest of kin, the closest of the family had, to, had the first dibs on the land. It's really what it was. So the closest relative had the first opportunity of, of purchase. And so Boaz then, when he wanted to meet with the, this nearer kinsman, also brought in 10 elder, elders. Why do you think Boaz brought in 10 elders for this conversation? As witnesses, even needed witnesses. Ten witnesses, a lot of witnesses, right? Anybody else? Why do you bring in ten elders? Maybe advice. Advice? Yes, definitely, definitely. So he does many things here. He wanted it well established. Okay. Verbal agreement was not enough. This had to be established in the law, so you needed witnesses. And he didn't want to revisit this issue. This, he, want, this wanted, he wanted this settled. He wanted to view this as a confirmation, not a confrontation. So there was 10, ten elders, not just two, there was 10, okay? He took 10 older men, most likely because they were considered more trustworthy, and 10 men of magisterial authority. Uh, and they were, would have been used for matrimony and for divorce, for marriage and for divorce, and inheritance matters, and serious legal issues. Boaz was not messing around. He was taking this very, very, very seriously. There were ten minion, or uh, ten minion, should I say, constitute a synagogue. So you've, you've ten adult, <coughs> mature males. These men can start, can start a synagogue. So this is a very serious thing. So they also formed a quorum. So all this was going on. This was very official, very official. Okay, so when he, when he gathered these men together, he was making an official declaration. Let's look at verse 3 to 5 again. He said unto the kinsmen, Naomi that is come again out of the country of Moab, sell in the parcel of land, which was our brother Limelech's. And I thought to advertise thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants, before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. I would say, Boaz's heart sank. Oh no. <laughs> Boaz wasn't interested in the land, he was rich. What was he interested in? Ruth. 
So he throws it in there. Boaz said, what day thou behind the field? Please say no, please say no. Okay. Now, of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabites, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. Now, um, I don't know, maybe I'll talk about this a little bit. So let's wait a little bit as we talk about that. So Naomi had made Ruth part of the package deal. Naomi could have said, you know, this is my land, and I'll, I'll sell it to the kings, to the, to the to Redeemer, and he can, he can sort of buy me out of trouble. But she brought Ruth into this and made her part of the package deal. So whoever wanted to redeem the property also had to redeem Ruth. Ruth and Naomi, as we said already, were too poor to redeem themselves. Ruth and Naomi did this. They did, I, I want to make mention, they did not have a one-way relationship. It was two-way. But what do I mean by that when I say they didn't have a one-way relationship? They'd respect for each other. It wasn't one trying to take advantage of the other. It wasn't one having one upmanship or one expecting the other to be serving. You know, it's hard in a relationship when you're one person with always expectations on the other, isn't it? It's difficult. Sometimes there's people you can't please and or they are just hard to please and it's challenging. Ruth and Naomi didn't have that. They both pulled together, which is a wonderful thing. They were equally committed to each other's health, each other's happiness, each other's prosperity, and each other's security. Isn't that a wonderful thing? They had this great relationship. And I, I want to remind you, these were in-laws. This is not natural for in-laws to have this relationship. Folks, I want to tell you, even in families, families can look good on the outside, right? But sometimes in families, there's a lot of squabbling going on. Why is there so much squabbling going on? Because there's someone wanting to be ahead. There's someone having unfair expectations that they place on other people. And it makes it difficult within the, in the family relationship. That was not going on with Ruth and Naomi. Why do you think Ruth and Naomi had that respect and admiration uh, and that attitude towards each other? What was it? They only had each other. What was that? They only had each other. You know, sometimes people can only have each other and they still abuse that relationship. But that's true. They only had each other. It would have to be more than that. That's true, but that's what else? How is it that they could have that relationship with each other? God-centered. God-centered, absolutely. The Lord was important to them. Now remember, that goes back to Naomi saying, call me not, Naomi, call me Mara, because I'm bitter in my soul, but she was struggling spiritually, but that's not the real Naomi. This was the Naomi working through her difficult, difficult circumstances, and I have more to say about that in the main service this morning. But here is, here is Naomi, and this is the real heart of Naomi. She was not a selfish person. She wasn't self-centered. She was out for Ruth, and Ruth, so Ruth, an unselfish person, and Naomi, an unselfish per person, they worked together. It's a wonderful thing, wonderful thing. So Ruth gave all that she had for Naomi. Naomi had, gave all that she had for Ruth, and this is how families are meant to work. Would you agree with that? And this is the way churches are meant to work. We're looking out for each other. We're helping each other out. If everybody did what they're supposed to do, uh, families would work a whole lot better. Would you agree with that? Churches would work a whole lot better. I don't know, I, I have to bring the rugby in, but Arna played very well against Scotland. I was disappointed they, they conceded two tries, and they will be disappointed. 
because the oxygen. They don't want to do that against New Zealand next week. But the reason why they played so well is they worked for each other. They were playing for each other and they got their line out right. But that's another story, okay? But, the, but when, when we see a team working for each other, like not like Manchester disunited, who really got lucky with their substitution with McTominay and they scored two goals in injury time and won a game which they probably should have lost. But they're disunited. But sport is a great illustration, isn't it? Because what it is, is an illustration of how people, you notice that teams that work together, they work for each other, don't they? And it's the same in the church. When we all work together for the common goal and we're for each other, when we come to church and we say, okay, what do I, what, what's in it for me? That's not gonna bless the church. It's gonna discourage people around you. And then same in the family. And when you family members and they're always drawing attention to themselves. It's all about me. Do you understand what I'm saying? And you know what it's like to be in a family when you've got people who pull and draw attention to themselves and can be a little bit narcissistic. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's challenging in a family. And so we can't do anything about other people. We're going to talk about this in the main service a little bit. But we can do a whole lot about us. Would you agree with that? And make sure we are not takers. Make sure we're givers. Make sure we're not coming to the table saying, what's in it for me? But let's come and say, what's in it for others? How can I serve others? Ruth was completely selfless. But we also see Naomi, and this is the wonderful thing, being completely selfless. And, and it's a blessing. And we're, let's see how God is gonna bless this because everything has an end. And you know, Saul was a selfish person. King Saul, wasn't he? You've read through the life of King Saul, and he always seemed to get away with it until the end. I was just reading the first Samuel chapter 27, I think it is, this morning. And uh, you, you only can get away with being selfish for so long, and it all then it catches up on you. Be not deceived, God is not mocked whatsoever man. So that shall be also reap. So I tell you what, I think I want to sow blessing, because I want to reap blessing. I want to sow encouragement. Because I want to reap encouragement. I want to sow love because I want to reap love. I want to sow joy. So I want to reap joy. Whatever you sow, you reap. So let's sow the right things because the blessing is going to come at the end of it. I want to serve so faithfulness to God because then I'm going to reap his blessing. Isn't that right? And I may not always say it in this life. I, I get that. But there's a world to come that's not very far away. Are you with me here? And so um, we see the blessing of God upon Ruth at Naomi. Ruth also. It was also Naomi's only chance of per perpetuity. What do, you, what do I mean by that when I say Ruth was Naomi's only chance of perpetuity? Grandchild. Grandchild. Absolutely. If, if Naomi had, had negated Ruth, Ruth, Naomi was too old to have kids. She already said that in chapter one, right? She's on past childbearing age. So if she had said, Ruth, just go, just go. I don't want to have anything to do with you. No, no, go back. No, entreat me not to leave thee. Or to, or to go, or, or to, to what's it? Entreat me not to leave thee. Or to, yeah, turn for following thee. You know, whether thy ghost, I will go. Thy God shall be my God. You know, and, and thy kindred, my kindred. Whatever exactly, I don't have exactly memorized. Okay. But if Naomi had said, no, no, go back. Naomi would have lost everything. She'd have nothing. Isn't that true? And because she didn't think that way, Ruth became her chance of having her, her seed continue. Because Boaz <coughs> took up the mantle of Ruth, Ruth and, and Naomi's seed continues, which is wonderful. Both Ruth and Naomi needed this redemption. 
And that's one thing that they, that really bonds families together, knowing that they need each other. Proverbs 17, 17, let's all turn there. Keep your mark on Ruth, Ruth 4, and go to Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17. Proverbs 17, verse 17. And you can view this verse in two ways, but I prefer the other way. Who wants to read that for me? My friend so a friend always loves, right? A, a real friend, a true friend loves you through thick and thin. A true friend loves you through success and through failure. You know, when, when you're doing well, when, you're, when your job is going well, when your life is going well, you blame your friend. But when you hit rock bottom, we're your friends. A friend loves at all times. Those are real friends. Praise God for people like that. Amen. And it's hard to find them sometimes. Because you don't really know until you really hit, do hit rock bottom. Not that we want to hit rock bottom, but it's just a reality. A friend of it at all times. But look at verse 17 at the end of it. A brother is born for adversity. Now, that could mean a brother is born into your life just to cause you trouble, okay? Or it could mean a brother is born into your life so when you are in trouble, they're there for you. You with me here? A brother is born for adversity. When you are going through a hard time, you should be able to count on family. Would you agree with that? We've seen unbelievers. People don't know the Lord. I, I, I know of a family. They're unbelievers. They're all unbelievers. But, but the, in, 19, in 2008, they hit, the, the families hit a brick wall. The, 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 children, the, the children went into insolvency. The parents, one by one, took each of the kids into their home, helped them save for a deposit by their house. That's sacrificial for parents to do that, right? And then you parents would, would say, I, I do that for my kids. I'm sure you would. But not everybody would do that. But that's what families do. You look out for each other. You sacrifice for each other. You help each other so you can get, you help your children so they can go fly again. If their wings get broken, you help their wings get fixed so they can fly again. Isn't that right? You don't take them into your home so they live in your home and leech off you. You bring them into your home so you can help them to get to the place where they can get going again in life. Does that make sense? I'm talking about adult children who are who have their own lives or married or whatever. That's what I'm talking about, so you understand. But the thing is, but that's what brothers are meant to do. They're meant to be there for each other. And family is meant to bond together and help each other out. And that's what you see it was the Naomi. And again, I remind you, these are in-laws. I have seen so many times uh, somebody dies and the in-law relationship completely broken. Very rarely do in-laws stay close to a family when, when the glue that bound them together dies. You with me here? It happens very, very rarely. But you see this. Ruth and Naomi had this relationship. Can I just say, um, as, as parents who've got older children, build a relationship with your in-laws. You can't make that in-law be close with you, but you can build a relationship and you can keep building a relationship. Sometimes in-law and mothers-in-law, fathers-in-law, whoever, can do this comparing game and be critical. I've seen that with Christian parents and they're critical of the person that their child is going to marry. What's that going to do for the relationship? There's nothing you can do about it. If you don't like what they do or how they do it, there's nothing you can do about it. You've got to do all you can to support that relationship and build that relationship because family is what? Family is family. Family is forever in this life. Okay? 
But family is family, right? You stick with it. You help each other. You support each other. That's what family does. Can I hear an amen for that? Okay. And that's what Ruth and Naomi did. They got this. And brother, I want to tell you something. What, how, what was between Ruth and Naomi was very unusual. Very unusual. Can I just say something as well? And I'm saying to you younger people, don't always be looking for your closest friends to be outside your family. Build relationships with your family. I know sometimes it can be challenging. I get it. But family should be there for each other. So build and build and build and do all you can to build bridges with your relationship. I understand the battles. I understand the challenges. I really do. But I can say it's worth it because it brings forth fruit at the end of it and dividends at the end of it and blessing at the end of it. Do all you can to build relationships. Make your family know that you value them no matter how hard it is. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I get the hard bit. I really honestly do. I really honestly do. I was just talking to somebody yesterday and he's a Christian. Was it yesterday? Friday. He's a Christian. And his brother is uh, wants nothing to do with him right now because he's because he's trying to witness to him. And these people are old people. I just think, how sad. That's a relationship that should have been built in their youth. That there was always this rivalry going on. And this brother is now going to die in the sins and basically go to hell. Because that relationship... I wouldn't say because, but if I would or would have been different if that other brother had made the effort to build that relationship while he could. Do you understand? Build, build, build. You can't make your brother have a close relationship with you. You can't make your sister, but you can let them know, no matter what, I'm there for you. So that when they hit the bottom, maybe just maybe they'll turn to you and listen to you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Build, build, build. We see that between Ruth and Naomi. Again, they weren't even blood. They were in love. Okay, so let's move on to verse 6. We're back in Ruth chapter 4. Look at verse 6. So we see in verse 6, we've read it already. And the kinsman said, I can't redeem it for myself, lest I mar my own inheritance. What did he mean by that? Why, why did he want to redeem Ruth? He did He what? Yeah, it, it would have interfered, and this is how it would have interfered. Let's say this man had no children. Let's say he wasn't married, okay? We don't know this situation, but my guess is, my, 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 I can't prove it, but my guess is that he wasn't married, okay? That's my, that's my, my take, okay? Let's say he's not married. If I marry Ruth, and we only have one son, because you can't control how many children you have. I mean, uh, Brother Leighton Kelly, Wanted to have it, they, they like to have it. They wanted to have a girl. They ended up having five boys. And they said, "Okay, let's quit at that." Okay, <laughs> you know, the Lord knows. He He provides us. There's people I know who've had five girls, couldn't have a boy. You know, you can't control that stuff. You can't control who you have. So let's say she, he marries Ruth. He only has one child. Only has one son. By the law, who uh, uh, whose name is, does that son take on? By the law. Malon. Malon is, 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 is the husband. Uh, was, it was the husband of Ruth. Malon's name, really Elimelech's name, doesn't it? It, it sort of goes back. Malon Elimelech, okay? It, it, which was 
Naomi's husband. Okay, so it wouldn't be his name. So he basically loses his inheritance. He's like, I don't want to mess up my inheritance. I don't want to take that risk if we only have one son that it doesn't go to my name. Okay. Now, so the near kinsman didn't want to redeem Ruth lest he mar or ruin his inheritance. We have no idea how he fared financially compared to Boaz. If Ruth wasn't part of the deal, he was ready to redeem it in a heartbeat. He said, I'll do it, no problem. I will redeem it, verse 4 says, to expand his interest and influence. So, it doesn't seem to be a financial reason, but a selfish reason why he said no. Why should he give any of his hard-earned cash to Elimelech's seed, right? Because that's really what it would be doing. He says, you're now my inheritor. And he didn't want to do that to Elimelech's seed, okay? He wasn't a charity, he wasn't a philanthropist. He had his own future family needs to take care of, and Ruth and her needs were not part of his plan. He wanted to choose where his money would go. He wanted to choose who would benefit from his investments, and it wouldn't be Ruth, Naomi, or the name of Elimelech. Does that sound familiar? Do you think we sometimes can think that way ourselves? I want this for me. When I, have you ever, do you ever hear financial advisors talk to people? When you retire, how much are you going to retire on? If you want to retire on this amount of money, then you need to meet these financial goals. You need to put this amount of money in away in your pension plan. You know, and, and they're like, it's all about you. Now, don't misunderstand me. You think it's wise to invest in the future? You think it's wise to put away some money for you? Absolutely. But the financial planners make it all about you. You know what? What's your standard of living? How much do you want right now? Do you want that same amount of money when you retire? Oh yeah, of course I do. Well then you need a million in your in, in your in your in your pension plan. So to get a million, then you need to have this. And I'll be your broke. <laughs> now let me ask you a question. Do you think, now let's talk about me for a second, do you think I need the same amount of money when I retire as I do right now? What do you think? No. No. Oh, why? I don't have four hungry mouths to feed. And if I do, I'm going to say, feed yourselves. You understand? So no, I don't have those same financial needs. So I don't need to have the same investment. But So they're, they're peddling us on what we deserve. The advertising aims at how selfish we are. You deserve this. You deserve it's like, you know, the salesman, the, the most successful salesman. Do you remember in the old days, now I'm dating myself here, but, but um, in the old days, the salesman would go around and say, Would you, we, we, you know, um, we want, want to sell you a porch for your house. And he'd, he'd be brilliant with the sales, he'd sell the porch. Then he'd go next door and he'd say, Let me tell you what your neighbor said you can't afford. Oh, did they say that? <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take a bigger porch, you know, sort of way. And you see people, and they, and they get these stone paveways. Now, I'm not against stone paveways, but oftentimes people get a stone paveway because their neighbor has a stone paveway. And if their neighbor has a stone paveway, then I need to have a stone paveway. And you have to keep up with the Smiths or the Joneses or whoever they are these days. Do you understand what I'm saying? And all they do is feed our pride. You with me here? Because it's all about us. You see, what we see here is Boaz was like Christ, but this unnamed nearer kinsman was like the world. And he was all, the only thing we wanted to serve his own interests. 
You know, someone who doesn't serve his own interests comes to church and says, how can I help? How can I further the work of God here in Luca? That's someone who doesn't serve his own interests. Maybe you can serve by getting involved in ministry. Maybe you can serve by, by singing in the choir, for example. Now, our choir's doing great, so that's not a need right now. But maybe you can serve by helping with your children. Maybe you can serve by helping with the cleaning. Maybe you can give, kind of, kind of, contribute financially to help things go well so we can get our lot paid off which by the way by God's grace we, we should have um, everything in order in two weeks time and the closing is meant to be two weeks time so just pray it just happens I'll be done and we'll all have a pizza party or something <laughs> but the point is that um, you, you know um, just, but some people just don't think that way this is the way people think this, this was the, the unnamed name the unnamed kinsman he was like, I work really hard all week. And when I go home, I just want to take a break. I don't want to go home and think, oh, I have to take care of Ruth. Do you understand what I'm saying? And it's just like, I deserve, this world puts this thing up, you deserve rest. Now, Lindsay was talking about rest and Jenny needed rest. We sort of joked about that. And, and I probably need to preach a message on rest. There is a time for us. Don't misunderstand me. But the world tells you, you deserve a rest after your week's work. You've worked how many hours have you done? 40 hours. Oh, man, that's a lot of work. You just need to rest for the rest of the weekend. Why go to church where you can lie down in bed? Man, you exerted so much energy watching the rugby last night. You deserve a lie-in. <laughs> the laugh was, because the kids were in bed, when, when I can't shout anymore. I can only shout when they're up. So when Ireland scores, I'm trying to and, and the kids were upstairs, and John was counting the claps until they came in and he tries to be scored. <laughs> but the point is this. We think we deserve so much more than we really should. That's human nature, isn't it? And I'm, I, I'm challenging you to think like a Christian. Think like a Christian, and Christian sacrifice. Why do Christians sacrifice? Why is a Christian? Why is a Christian? Why is it a Christian mentality to sacrifice and give more than what people think they should give? Why do you think that mentality is, is isn't a Christian? Because of the sacrifice of Christ for us. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, isn't that right? For God so loved the world that He gave, and Christians have that mentality. We need revival. We need a revival of God's Spirit in God's people, that we go back to the way we're supposed to be and think that way. Because we're way too immersed in the world, we're too, way too close to the line of thinking of this unnamed kinsman, aren't we? We need to get back to the way of the Lord and say, you know what, that's not it. I want to be like Ruth. I want to be like Boaz. You know, I want to line up with Boaz. So we're looking at this near kinsman. Now, I've asked the question, was the near kinsman wrong? I think we've answered that question already, haven't we? So let me tell you, ask, well, we've talked about it for a while. Why was the near kinsman wrong to not redeem Ruth? I want to be the devil's advocate now, okay? I'm going to argue for him. Are you with me here? Why was the near kinsman wrong for not redeeming Ruth? He missed out. But you know what? You could say he missed out. There's plenty of nice girls out there in Israel. It wasn't just Ruth. 
Miss out on God's blessing. But you know what? But he wants to enjoy. The blessing's further down the road. He wants to enjoy this life. He wanted, he wanted a blessing now. He worked hard. Why was he wrong? I'm playing the devil's advocate here now. Do you understand what I mean? I'm, I'm trying to argue for him. Why was he wrong? Why was his near kingdom wrong? Anybody? You don't, you don't want me to argue for me. <laughs> okay, let me just say this. I think he was wrong because he was short-sighted. All he could see was the here and now. He wasn't looking ahead. He wasn't looking ahead. All right. So Boaz was likely a lot richer than him and definitely a lot more charitable. He had a different view, a more mature view. Not only was he ready to redeem Elimelech's name, but he was ready to invest in Ruth. Boaz had a near kinsman to redeem Ruth. And uh, Jesus, so we're going to see the parallel here, uh, became one of us. Okay, Hebrews 2 verse 14 and 15. Who wants to read those? Hebrews 2 verse 14 and 15. Does Paul look like you want to do that? And Sarah, can you read 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19? 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. And who wants to read John 3, 16? Okay, John, you can read John 3, 16. Read it from your Bible, okay? Not from memory, okay? So, Boaz had to be a near kinsman to redeem Ruth, okay? He, if, 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 okay. Ruth had a near kinsman, but Boaz was second. Boaz had to be close as a kinsman, or he wouldn't have been able to redeem Ruth. That was the law, okay? In the same way, the Lord Jesus had, had to become one of us. Hebrews 2, verse 14 and 15. For God did not send a children a particular special work. He also in several went to part of the faith, and through the death, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that, that is the devil, and deliver them who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For finally, he took not on him the nation of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Amen. So the Lord Jesus Christ had to become one of us. He had to take out flesh and blood to break the power of sin, death, and hell. You know, and if you don't know, when Jesus died on the cross, not only did he die on the cross for your sins, he broke the power of sin, he broke the power of death, he broke the power of hell. Sin has no more hold over us. Now, I know we sin, but it has no more dominion over us. It can't control us. We can't say anymore, I, 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 I can't help it. I have to give in. You don't have to give in. Now, I'm not saying the temptation can't be strong. It gets really strong. It can be overwhelming at times. But praise God, we have someone who's broken that power. Are you with me here? And death has no power over us. Death has lost its sting. And hell has no power over us. If you've trusted in the blood of Jesus, you'll never face the flames of hell. Why? Because Jesus became one of us. He became our kinsman redeemer. Are you with me here? Okay. First uh, Peter 1, 18 and 19, please. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, for your vain compensation, received by traditions of your fathers, with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb, without blemish and without spot. So you see that uh, Boaz used his silver and gold to redeem the land. But think about this, he used himself to redeem Ruth. 
Boaz didn't just give his money, he gave himself. Isn't that right? And the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself. And you know the wonderful thing, and I love this, those of us who are saved, we get to share in the work of Christ for all eternity. We get to share in what God owns for all eternity. He's sharing it with us. We get to enjoy heaven and all the blessing and the glory and the bliss of heaven for all eternity because of what Jesus did by coming, becoming our kinsman redeemer. Aren't we glad about that? Praise the Lord. All right. So Boaz, brethren, um, so Boaz had to become, he had to be a near kinsman. He also had to be able to pay the price. And Jesus was able to pay the price and gave himself. But finally, Boaz had to be willing. The near kinsman didn't want to. But Boaz wanted to. That's the difference. Why did Boaz want to pay the price for the redemption? Why did he want to? Because he loved Ruth. What's the Bible saying, John 3, 16? Read it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. The Lord loves that. Someone loves me. Amen. The Lord Jesus loves us. Someone loves us. God loves us so much. There are times we don't feel loved. Now, praise God, we have family and the family loves us. Okay? Most of us. Okay? But the point is that God always loves us. Praise the Lord. He always loves us. Alright. Now, let's finish with this. So the near kinsman didn't want to remove, redeem Ruth, but Boaz did. Now, this, let's talk about the shoe-loosing custom. Deuteronomy chapter 25. Let's open our Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 25, please. Deuteronomy 25. <clears throat> so this shoe-loosing custom, because we read in Ruth, so while you're looking at Deuteronomy, we read in Ruth that... Um, the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself. I don't want to mar my inheritance. Verse 7. Now, this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing. For to confirm all things, a man plucked off a shoe, gave it to his neighbor. That was, And this was a testimony in Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 25 is what it was all about. Verse 5 to 10. I'll read it. If brethren dwell together, and one of them die, and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. So Ruth was not to marry to someone outside the family, because Malon died. Her husband's brother, okay, so the closest person to that would have been uh, the, the, the nearer kinsman, but he said no. So then Boaz was next. The husband's brother shall go in unto her. By the way, the word brother in the Hebrew can mean cousin. Okay, there's no distinct word for brother in the Hebrew. In Greek, it's different. The husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her to him to wife, perform the duty of a husband's brother unto her. And it shall be that the firstborn which she bears shall succeed in the name of his, his brother which was dead, and his name shall that his name shall not be put out of Israel. And if the man like not to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate unto the elders and say, My husband's brother re refuses to raise up unto his brother a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of the city shall call him, speak unto him, and if he stand to it, in other words, he won't change his mind, and, and say, I like not to take her, don't like her, okay? Then shall his brother's wife come unto him in the presence of the elders and loose his shoe from off his foot and spit in his face. 
and shall answer and say, So shall it be done unto the man that will not build up his brother's house, and his name shall be called in Israel the house of him that had his shoes loosed. Okay, so that is the custom. Okay, so obviously the custom of spitting in the face was dropped by the time of Ruth, but you see the shoe being loosed and Boaz being very glad to take on that responsibility. So, um, I just mentioned all this. And then we saw last week that Onan didn't want to take on his uh, inherit his responsibility and, and he didn't want to mar his inher inheritance. We said in Genesis 38, we won't deal with that this morning. Now, question, I think we've already answered it. What was the difference between the nearer kinsman and, and, and uh, Boaz? What was the difference? What was the difference between the nearer kinsman and Boaz? One was willing to sacrifice and the other wasn't. It, it, that's just what it comes down to, isn't it? Okay. Boaz didn't care about marring his inheritance. All he cared about was the redemption of Ruth. That is a wonderful, wonderful thing, isn't it? Now that goes against the way we normally think, isn't it? Doesn't it? Okay. We, we, we don't think that way. And you think about the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't care about jeopardizing his own inheritance. What did he do instead of jeopardizing his own inheritance? The Lord Jesus. What did he do? He added us in. He grafted us in. He made us part of it. Okay? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. I'll close with this. I'll read it quickly. <coughs> Ephesians 1. Actually, somebody else. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 and 18. Who wants to read those verses? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 and 18. Did you, did you read that? Verse 11, Mary read verse 18. In Ephesians 1, verse 11, Mary verse 18. <coughs> saved, you have joy, right? But, and we have eternal life. But I have not seen, nor heard, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. The best is yet to come. Just remember that. No matter what you go through today, or next week, or next month, or next year, whatever you're going through right now, the best is yet to come. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much.